Well, it's uh, the final race of the 2020 NTT IndyCar season in St. Pete, the original spot of the season opener that came back in March. As everybody knows, COVID hits. A lot of drivers, fans, teams are already down in St. Pete. Um, everything goes down. Hey, sorry, no race. Maybe we'll try to reschedule it. It becomes the season finale. I'm sure a lot of drivers, fans, and teams are okay with being in St. Petersburg, Florida towards the end of October. However, um, <clears throat> Thursday here in Indianapolis, it feels like we're in Florida as it's about 82 degrees. As always, the Tony D Podcast is brought to you by Flooring is Forever. lot to discuss, championship preview, some IndyCar silly season, um, why the hell the light schedule looks the way it does for next year. Um, will also be discussed because, well, if you haven't seen it, the Freedom 100 is currently off of the 2021 Indy Lights schedule. Now, they did leave uh, a spot for two TBAs, maybe towards the end of the year, maybe towards the mid, mid to late October. Um, I don't understand why you would leave off the Freedom 100 Somebody on Twitter, I think one of the lights, uh, maybe Trackside Online, had a quote saying they're preserving the time for the IndyCar teams to be on track for the Indy 500. Um, I believe that's complete BS because lights are on the oval in the month of May for maybe maybe four hours tops. You've got, what do they use that Thursday, which nothing is going on in the in the IndyCar world. You've got Thursday that they do a test practice and qualifying. I mean, that's maybe three hours on a day where nothing else is going on. And then Friday, which has been an incredible race every year, seems to come right down to the wire. And the fans are, are invested, I think, in the racing action that we see on Carb Day. That normally goes green at what, 12.15? The only thing I can think of is, one, maybe they're going to condense the schedule for the Indy 500 next year and spread it out maybe maybe I, I, I don't I really don't know I would like to see that Monday Indy 500 practice before the race is always the best practice because everybody's in race trim you're dialed in I wouldn't I would like to see maybe something along those lines on carb day maybe a two to three hour maybe four hour practice session um, for IndyCar, but I, I just don't get why, if you want these drivers who, if you win the championship, you usually have enough money to run a full season next year, and if you finish second or third, you usually have enough money to run, what, the Indy 500 the following year, so if you have a million dollars and you're a 20-year-old um, you know, Indy Lights driver who finishes second or third, you're going to take that million dollars to go run the Indy 500. With that being said, maybe maybe they put it towards the end of the year and they just have the light. I mean, that's not going to draw any fans. I mean, no offense to the series. There's only 10 cars. But it just doesn't make sense to me. And if you're going to groom these drivers to run the light series and be the ladder, be the AAA for a baseball term of IndyCar, you have to let these guys run in the oval at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I think there's one oval on the schedule, if I'm not mistaken, and that's St. Louis. A doubleheader at St. Louis. Um, man, it's cool they're going to Belle Isle. Like, that's great. But is Roger just want the only oval race 
at IMS to be the 500? I mean, I thought that we had kind of grown past that and the traditionalists have kind of gotten over it. I think the track should be used for any race on the oval that you can except for a second IndyCar race. Um, that's where I'm at on that. So I, I didn't understand the light schedule. Um, there's my little rant on that. I just I would like to see that. That's a great race. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys be successful in that race and go on to IndyCar, and it kind of propels your season. Joseph Newgarden, Alex Lloyd, um, Ed Carpenter. You know, you go back, the I mean, Sage Karam has been in races there that have came down to the wire. Carlos Munoz, I think, ran both on that weekend that he was a, he was a rookie. So um, if you want rookies to succeed in IndyCar when they get that one chance, that one chance, because we talked about this all year long, that guys like Takuma Sato and Dixon are in their 40s still doing their thing. So these lights drivers or these, these guys with enough money usually only get one chance. One chance to perform, and it's so hard to do so with lack of experience on that Indianapolis 500 oval, and it's so hard to do so on a one-off effort with um, lack of experience in rhythm pit crews. So um, didn't like that there. Again, yeah, it's only 10 cars. I understand you hope that that maybe goes up to 10 or 12. You hope that Roger Penske goes to some of these teams and say, hey, we want you to invest in the light series, and you'll have some perks and benefits. And same goes for Roger. I mean, if Roger's going to say that, uh, he needs to be owner or a part owner in a lights team um, and, and, and help develop some of these drivers that are up and coming, you know, right now in F2000 and uh, the latter series for Road to Indy. So uh, would certainly love to see more ovals, more ovals on both, on both series, but um, especially with that light schedule. St. Pete this weekend going down. Um, let's get to my top moments of 2020. This is my top 10 moments. You may agree. You may not agree. I'd love to hear um, what you have to say, what you thought was your favorites. Again, Tony Indy on Twitter, as always. My number 10 moment, uh, just the iRacing for IndyCar. I thought it was fun. It was something to watch. Um, it was different. You kind of got to see how realistic it is for a driver to do a, a, a simulator. I thought it introduced us to a lot of the rookies, the Alex Palouse of the world, the Renus VKs of the world. Um, you know, I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool. It gave us a little, it scratched a little bit of an itch for us when we didn't have IndyCar in March and April. We got to know Scott McLaughlin a little bit. He was really good at those races. Um, and look what it did for, for Sage Carum. I mean, Sage Carum ended up on SportsCenter because of him winning an iRace. I mean, that's that's huge. IndyCar in general, when they're really, when it's a real race, they don't get on SportsCenter unless it's the Indy 500, there's a terrible crash, or some guy from Chevy wrecks the pace car. Um, so that was awesome. So I thought that that was a, a, a good little um, gap filler before they got to Texas. Uh, number nine, Felix Rosenquist's first win. We know he's moving on from Chip Ganassi Racing. He had been so close. He was fast at... Texas, and then uh, he checked off that first win box at Road America in a duel late with uh, with Pato Award, and I thought that that was um, huge for Felix and awesome to see that 10 car back in victory circle. Uh, number eight, um, well, for me, Connor Daly's first career pole. Carlin racing on the pole on an oval. Um, the so-called road driver, road and street course driver, uh, the so-called behind-the-eight-ball team. 
Connor Daly puts it on the pole. Had a great showing. Had a, that 59 car, I think I think my buddy Chad Smith had this, has completed every lap but one this year between Connor Daly and Max Schultz. Hopefully that's a, um, a tremendous um, boost for that team moving forward um, and, and a great job of the 59 Carlin team this year, a team that um, is, is a little under the radar and doesn't always get the uh, the hype or the publicity that um, maybe some of the other teams get. So so kudos to that. Uh, number seven, Marco Andretti on pole at the Indy 500. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in question heading into the 500, and, and one of the biggest questions was how will the ratings be? And I think this gave um, the Speedway, the Series, Andretti Autosport um, something to um, grab headlines for heading into the Indianapolis 500 as to where if somebody you know, else would have had the pole that doesn't have the last name recognition as Andretti. Now, I think he only left for probably 40 feet um, of the entire race, but but, but Marco, Marco being on the pole for the Indy 500, I think is, is, a, is a top 10 moment for 2020. Number six would be Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar test um, in that number 10 car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I was out there for it. It was cool. Uh, I think Jimmy fell in love with it. It's obviously set him up to be in that 10 car next year. Uh, as of right now on the road and street courses, we'll see if he gets a ride for the 500 in that 10 car. See if he wants to do it. It's obviously up to him. But if I'm a sponsor, I say, hey, I, mean, I love having Jimmy Johnson in my car. But I would love to have Jimmy Johnson in my car on NBC in the Indianapolis 500, um, the biggest race in the world. So we'll see if Jimmy maybe uh, walks that fine rope of uh, what we've heard him not wanting to do the 500. But uh, maybe things will change. Number five. Uh, Pagano's charge from last at Iowa. Um, I love the double headers, which we'll get into. That's my number four. Um, <clears throat> but Pagano's charge from the back was was huge. Uh, what a, what a big big move for him. That was a Friday night race. I love Friday night races. I've always said that Iowa race in normal circumstances should be run on the Wednesday night after the MLB All Star Game because you've got nothing going on. That's the night that they tape the SBs. No, no, no. I'm sorry. They run the SBs on Wednesday night. And then Thursday, I believe, is the only night where there's not professional sports in a normal time frame. Uh, so NBC, instead of running reruns of This Is Us or um, whatever, Mass Singer, maybe you run a live IndyCar race and see what it would do. So uh, loved the Friday night race at Iowa and big-time Simon Pagino win there. Uh, as I said, doubleheaders. I mean, we saw the doubleheaders at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Friday and Saturday for the road course. That was awesome. St. Louis doubleheaders, Road America. It just gives you more races um, without the travel. I mean, I think it's great. I would love to see that Harvest Grand Prix be a doubleheader in October. It's probably not going to happen because you want to keep that May date uh, to head to the momentum building events of qualifying for the 500 and the 500 itself. And then you're going to have, obviously, the doubleheader with uh, the Brickyard Weekend for IndyCar, but 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 I certainly enjoyed doubleheaders this year. Certainly enjoyed both races at the Speedway. Went to the one in St. Louis, um, so I wish we could see more doubleheaders. And I think with the schedule next year, the way it looks, we will, and hopefully we see more with NASCAR. Um, three, just uh, Joseph Newgarden's charge here late. Had some great runs at St. Louis. Had uh, the win at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And day one of the Harvest Grand Prix, and as you know, I mean, I think Roger Penske would agree with me. He wants, if he could run every race on the road course at IMS, he would do that because, um, hell, he's won every one except for the first one, and that was won by Simon Pagano, 
who is one of his drivers, as we know. So uh, just Joseph's charge here to kind of make the championship a little bit more interesting than um, what we thought heading into the you know that first month of the season was going to be with Dixon on the charge winning the first three races and what four out of the first five or six. So um, Joseph's late charge here has given uh, the championship a little bit of hope for a battle. It is going down to the last race for the 15th consecutive year. Yes, there's only a one percent chance that Joseph Newgarden wins it. Um, and there's 19,872 scenarios I think we've seen uh, for the championship this weekend. Uh, but nonetheless, Joseph's uh, charge. As mentioned, Dixon, number two, with uh, his first, you know, winning the first three races of the season. Texas dominant fashion. Um, just what he's been able to do and gunning for an incredible seventh championship. He's the greatest of our generation. I don't think we're going to see somebody have the dominance of Scott Dixon. Um, probably for the rest of my lifetime. He's a once-in-a-lifetime generation between you know, using him, uh, Mario, A.J. Foyt, and I think Rick Mears. I mean, those are those are the four greatest of all time. When it, I mean, like, I, like I've said all, all, all summer when I do this podcast and, 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 and the discussions leading into the Indianapolis 500, the, the craziest thing about Scott Dixon is he only has one, champ, or one Indianapolis 500 win. Um, I think that's the craziest, most mind-boggling stat. Um, number one, Takuma Sato's win. Um, I, I don't mean this in a bad way or, or a way to knock anybody else, but I was happy that somebody won it for a second or a multiple time because if you know a fan favorite like Joseph Newgarden or James Hinchcliffe or Ed Carpenter would have won, they, they just wouldn't get the full sense of what it's like taking that helmet off and 350,000 fans, well, probably 250,000 fans because 100,000 100, are drunk in the infield, are, are yelling, screaming, and cheering and being able to wave to the crowd. Um, I thought it was incredible. Sato's win 16-1 when it came to the odds. Um, Dixon dominated that race, but Sato made the move when needed and wins his second 500, and I obviously loved the conversation that him and I had on this podcast. If you haven't listened to that, uh, we did it about a week after he won the 500. Please go back and take a listen to uh, that conversation with Takuma Sato because um, it's a hell of a conversation, super fun, super entertaining. So um, that's my number one, but I think what trumps all of those, that top ten, is just the fact that we saw cars back on track. And there was a point that we all thought, this may not happen this year. Um, there's a lot that could, could could affect, not racing, could affect these teams, these sponsors, these drivers, a TV package. But um, So kudos everybody to IndyCar, Roger Penske, for getting this going and having a season. All right, so 1.8 miles down at St. Pete. 100 laps, 14 turns. Um, it's a great track. It's a lot of fun. Fast, fast straightaway, sweeping turns. Um, you're racing on an airport runway. <clears throat> St. Pete is going to be awesome. It's always fun to watch. It, it, it gets tight at times. It gets um, close quarters. We've seen it every every year. We've seen that, again, like at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course, that first diving into... Uh, the, the first turn going right is um, always always fun to watch on, on, on road courses and street courses, especially at Indy, especially St. Pete, on restarts and the opening lap. Now, hopefully we see some yellows. I think we've gone so many races this year where we haven't seen yellows, which is good for the pocketbook of some of these teams and drivers, obviously. 
Um, but uh, you look at Joseph Newgarden. He uh, That number two car has won three out of the last five races down at St. Pete. Newgarden's the defending champion. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya won uh, three or four years prior to that. Uh, gapped in between by Sebastian Bourdais. Back-to-back wins for Dale Coyne Racing. Uh, Bourdais back in the saddle this weekend for um, Foyt. Dixon, four runner-up finishes at St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, has never won there. One of the only a few tracks I think that he's never won at on the schedule might be, thinking of this on the top of my head, um, I, he maybe not has won at St. Louis. Maybe he did in the early 2000s. But um, either way, for a track that has been consistently on the schedule for the last decade, I think this is the only one left that Dixon has not uh, triumphed at. Um, 32 points separate Joseph and Dixon. It's basically going to be Joseph's going to have to have the pole, lead all the laps, and win the race, while Dixon's going to have to finish probably 13th or worse, 14th or worse. Uh, So it'll be very interesting to see how this goes down on Sunday. More than likely, we're going to see Dixon winning his his seventh championship, which um, I don't think anybody's going to be sad to see. But Joseph still with the chance, and you know Joseph has that in his mindset that we can go down there and uh, we can quote-unquote steal um, this 2020 championship. Uh, Renus VK, congratulations to him, Rookie of the Year. Pole position at the Speedway in Harvest Grand Prix number one, finish on the podium. Uh, we thought we didn't know what we were going to see in Renus when we got to Texas. And, you know, obviously the accident at Carpenter saying, you know, hey, this is exactly what we talked about, but... I think Renus has settled down. He was very fast at the 500. Um, a rookie mistake on pit road probably cost him a top five finish. But congratulations to Ed Carpenter Racing, Renus VK, on the Rookie of the Year finish. Uh, the Tag Hoyer Performer of the Year is going to go to Simon Pagano. Um, he's gained 91 positions over the season. Um, obviously, a majority of those, 22 of them, came with the charge from the rear to win at Iowa early in the season. I'm taking Dixon to win the championship, not going out on the limb there. I think we're going to see some teams uh, making making moves, trying out different strategies. I want to see Oliver Askew obviously have um, a good weekend as he wraps up his tenure at um, Aero McLaren SP. Felix Rosequest is going to want to end his tenure in the 10 car um, on a high note. James Hinchcliffe is going to want to prove to Michael Andretti that um, with silly season coming up, uh, he has a sponsorship that he deserves to be in that car. Looks like Ryan Hunter Ray is going to be wrapped up for next year with DHL back. It looks like Gainbridge will move over to Colton Herta's car. Um, I think, you know, I think Marcus Erickson will be back with the Husky Chocolate sponsorship for Ganassi, with Ganassi Racing. So um, I'm going to take Joseph Newgarden to be on the podium. I think him and Will Power are going to be really hard to beat come Sunday. But we'll see if somebody, um, maybe from Andretti or Ganassi, um, in the 10 or the 8 car can sneak up and steal um, a victory for Ganassi Racing. Enjoy the race. Um, fantasy lineups. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, I think I started. We'll see how he can do. We'll see how he adapts in his first IndyCar race, what the learning curve is there, and how quickly um, he can he can get uh, that feel in his ass, which sounds crazy, but that's what I've had multiple drivers tell me. You know, you, you, you get that feel in your butt, and you get that feel in your ass, is what Jordan King told me at the Indianapolis 500 last year. You just get that feel for it. Um, and sometimes it happens and it clicks right away. Which we've seen it a lot of drivers, and sometimes um, it, it, it doesn't click and it never clicks and you're out of a ride. So 
Should be a fun one this weekend. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll do a wrap-up coming up next week here on the Tony D Podcast. Enjoy the race, and uh, we'll see if Scott Dixon can host that championship trophy for the seventh time. Thanks again, as always, to Flooring is Forever. Flooringisforever.com. Um, Harley is the best at flooring in the city of Indianapolis. Check him out. Flooringisforever.com. 317-755-1246. If you're looking for a high-quality flooring with a lifetime warranty, 100% kid-proof, waterproof, and pet-proof, Cortec flooring is the way to go. Beautiful options for what a tile looks with the built-in cork backing, which creates an extra layer of insulation. Easy to clean, won't stain. Get a hold of Harley today, 317-755-1246. Oh, I applied for a position at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Wish me luck. Take care.